or maybe NPR international business correspondent Adam Davidson for Treasury Secretary. <laughs> oh, Since- Adam, yeah. Hi, and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I am Adam Davidson, but I am definitely not going to be the next Treasury Secretary. I'm Laura Conaway, and I'm definitely not even the deputy to the deputy Treasury Secretary, though I am proud to be sitting next to Adam Davidson. Thanks. Should you explain what that was? Yeah, that was on Brian Lehrer this morning. That was Naomi Brian Klein. Lehrer being a local, wonderful, we love him, WNYC host. Uh, Radio crush. Yes. Kind of guy talking to Naomi Klein. Who knows you? Yeah, we knew each other in Baghdad. We hung out in Baghdad a lot. We're she friends. takes you seriously. Yeah. Well, today is Wednesday, October 22nd. It's about, what is it, 5 to 4 in the afternoon here in New York City. All right, I want to run through quickly the planet money indicators. Uh, the TED spread, our favorite measure of global anxiety, has follow, fallen again it's several days in a row. It's down over 9% today to 251 Way below the near five we saw the other day, um, and uh, falling every day now. So, so uh, we're we're hopeful that that will get to a healthy sub one area, showing that banks are beginning to lend to each other. But forget this abstract number. We got Will Aston Reese on the line. He's actually right there on the front lines of the credit crisis at Tradition Asia Securities. Hey, well, it sounds kind of busy in the background. Hey, Adam. Uh, yeah, there's a, a few things that occurred. We had the uh the money center banks to uh, that I mentioned before over the last several days that are uh, receiving the capital infusions um, have been in selling and they were in again uh, lending, well I should say lending again in the uh, three and four month period and they were in kind of large so what you're actually hearing in the background is the sound of happy brokers who finally made money after a long hiatus. And they're lending are we talking about billions? I mean I know we yes. had a f- yes, yes you said? Yes. We're, it's a unidirectional flow though. Um what it is is that basically you have a handful of lenders, and these lenders appear to be the same money center banks that will be receiving the capital injections from the United States Treasury. They, in turn, are lending to certain counterparties in the market. Uh, specifically, lately, they've been targeting the three- and four-month periods. Uh, last week, they were lending in one month. We're not seeing any of this money being turned around, though, and being put to use. A lot of times what you'll see is uh, people borrowing money in one sector, lending it in another. So while this money is coming into the market, I'm not really sure what type of penetration it's getting beyond the initial um, infusion. So uh, we're not seeing the the patient is still in the ICU. It's getting massive IV antibiotics and we're getting a little bit of a pulse, but this this patient isn't about to jump off the table and go play basketball. Right. The credit crisis is, you know, again, to, to fall back on a phrase that everybody's probably tired of hearing is that this is the pump. And, you know, when you start filling the bucket, you've got a long way to go. Okay, got you. So this is a lot better than last week when I'd call you and you'd just say nothing's happening, nothing's happening, but it's nowhere near as good as we hope it's going to get. Correct. Great. Will Aston Reese... Tradition Asian Securities. Thanks so much, man. We'll we'll check in with you again soon. Oh, you're welcome, Adam. Thanks. Our money trader buddy, Will Aston Reese, says he's worth what he's paid. You can see his answer to a listener question about that on our blog at npr.org slash money. 
We're going to talk more about Iceland today. It's a cheap place to visit. Wouldn't want to live there. And we've also got somebody coming in with a piece on hedge funds, a mystery guest. Yeah, that's a good one. I am looking forward to it. And the Iceland conversation, we really enjoyed that. Um, Last week, we had this great interview with uh, our favorite Australian credit risk analyst. Actually, I think we can just say our favorite credit risk analyst, Shuchajit Das who uh, told us about the severe financial crisis that Iceland is in. And he painted a very dire picture. And, uh, Laura, we got in some trouble. Yeah, I think that if you live in Iceland or you're from Iceland, you have Iceland typed into your your Google alerts. And anytime anyone writes anything about Iceland on a blog, you come over and comment. This is my experience. We got more Iceland-related comments. We really found the Icelanders. And they told us that our friend Das had perhaps overstated what had happened one of the people we heard from was Sig... Sig- no, you'll have to hear her say her name. Sigríður Vala Gunnarsdóttir. And uh, nobody can pronounce that over here, which is why I just use the nickname Sigga. Wow. Yeah. We should say when she says over here, she doesn't mean no one in Iceland can pronounce it. She lives in She England. means in Scotland. Scotland, yeah, she but lives. I could not pronounce that. No one on Planet Money can say it either. Um, but what she said, she said that there are some things about the interview with Das that just really jumped out at her. The first thing that really hit me as wrong was the reports there about Iceland running out of food. Um, there were some reportings about a uh, run on a supermarket, which I understand being sort of picked up by the media because it's, it's, it's a pretty uh, riveting story, really. But as far as I've heard, there wasn't really a big run. There were sort of people buying unusually large amounts from one supermarket but there was no sort of empty shelves kind of thing or big queues or as far as I know anyway. Your family's not asking you to mail them food in a box or anything? No. And, you know, restaurants are operating and everybody can, you know, buy what they want right now. And it's also that you said, the the guy said that Iceland didn't grow any food itself and that's also not true because we're a huge exporter of fish and there's, there's some agriculture there as well with mostly sheep and potatoes, but um, it's there and the country should be able to you know, feed its citizens even without imports. So we wanted to understand what life is like there, and we called Bjorn Malmquist. Uh, I've talked to Bjorn a bunch of times over the last year because uh, he, like me, has been covering Iceland's growing economic troubles. He's a good friend of NPR's Don Gagne, the White House correspondent who introduced us. And uh, Bjorn Malmquist is a reporter with the Icelandic National Broadcasting Company. He says it's like the NPR of Iceland. I asked him if he can actually see on the streets of Reykjavik signs of this massive financial crisis. He got to that, and he also told us a bit about Iceland producing its own food, the issue Siga mentioned. I mean, this is strange. It's a strange recession. Um, uh, You know, uh, life goes on as usual. My kids go to school and I go to work and, you know, I can go to the supermarkets and and, and buy pretty much whatever I want. Uh, But things are getting more expensive and people are getting laid off here, which wasn't the case. Uh, So, and a lot of people on, on the Icelandic scale, I mean, hundreds of people. Are, are getting laid off. So, so things are changing, but it's not like we're keeling over. It's it's happening slowly. I think. So, so Bjorn, when you go to the grocery store, you notice that things cost more than they did a couple of weeks ago, even. Oh yeah. Tell me more. 
Um, there are reports of things costing 50, 60, 70 percent more than like three, four months ago. Uh, you know, the price of milk is going up by 10 percent uh, next uh, at the end of this month. Uh, wheat is going up. Everything that is that is imported is is going up, obviously, because the corona is so weak. It doesn't really have any legs to stand on. And um, um, so, so everything we get from abroad, which is quite a lot, obviously, um, is, is, is going up. Um, and it's, I think it's going to get worse in the next weeks and months. See, th- that's the interesting thing. Like in the U.S., the dollar has weakened. And, and what we hear is – so we – People are buying less imported goods. You don't buy the French wine. You buy the California wine. Right. Um, but we're a really big country. We make a lot of food. You know, worst case scenario, we can sort of fend for ourselves. Um, you know, I, I picture Iceland. I picture you guys are importing most of the stuff that you need on a day-by-day basis. Well, we are. Uh, I mean, you know, we make dairy. We make meat. We make, uh, you know, vegetables and fruits uh, you have to believe that because we have hot springs and we heat up the greenhouses with the with, with, with the steam so we can make vegetables. But pretty much everything else we import, and therein lies the problem. I mean, uh, you know, the currency is pretty much gone, or has been gone for the last, you know, two weeks or something. Nobody wants to trade with us. And uh, because the krona is, isn't really a valid currency anymore, and... Um, so it's 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 been hard for us to uh, to have to have foreign trade, and you know, like I said, we we buy most of the stuff from abroad. I mean, and everything that's you know technical, like you know whatever cars, televisions, you know telephones, whatever, we we have to buy that from abroad. And uh, I mean, you know, we we can't really live on lamb's meat and and tomatoes for the rest of our lives. <laughs> Bjorn. <laughs> and fish. Uh, and fish. No, I mean, not to mention. Yeah. Herring, I guess. Um, basically, the, the kroner, um, I'm trying to do the math here online. It, it has plummeted. I mean, it plummeted something like 30% one day. It's been plummeting in value throughout the year and over the last few weeks really dramatically. Yes. It started to get weak in March, I think. Uh, I was actually in the U.S. by then, uh, or at the time. But when I came home uh, in July, in June, it was uh, it was getting much weaker. And obviously, for the, uh, you know, over the last days and uh, I guess two weeks, it's it's fallen like a rock. Um, you know, uh, at one point, I think the dollar was something like 150, 160 kroners, which is almost ridiculous because a year ago it cost 60 kroners. So you know, it's like, it's like a you know, it's like a hundred percent drop or something. Um, uh, so you know, everything goes up. Uh, but uh, there's a light, I guess, or you could call it a light at the end of the, uh, you know, at the end of the tunnel here. Um, everybody is uh, wondering when when um, when the IMF is going to come and help us. You know, the International Monetary Fund. And um, that's probably going to happen tomorrow or the day after. And then they're going to they're going to bring in some loans from themselves and some other central banks. And then they're going to prop up the krona, and everything will be hunky dory. We hope. So, but hunky dory. I mean, a, a year ago, two years ago, Iceland was this sort of Arctic miracle. It was this tiny 
island country that was on the cutting edge of banking innovation. It, it was almost, you know, it, it was the envy of the world. Oh, and yeah. now you're hoping that the IMF, I mean, really poor developing countries no longer try and work with the IMF because they don't like the harsh terms that the IMF imposes. You know, Argentina and Venezuela and poorer, much poorer countries than that right. have worked hard to avoid the IMF. Is there a blow to the national psyche? You're, you're, you're moving from one level to, to such a different level so quickly. Yes. Adam, it's it's really hard to describe to you how this feels like. I mean, you, you know, like you said, a year ago, we used to be, you know, almost the, I guess, you know, the eighth wonder of the world or something. I don't know, but it was... It was almost ridiculous. We had, we had banks that were buying up companies all over the world. We had, I mean, we had banks that that um, that were 10, 12, ten, twelve times the size of the gross national uh, product. I mean, it was unbelievable. Everybody here could get a loan for whatever they wanted in whatever currency they wanted. Uh, the corona was so strong, everybody could go out and buy whatever they want. Um, you could travel to the U.S. and it was like, it was cheap for you. Oh, yeah. And my friends in the U.S. couldn't even come to, to visit me because they couldn't afford it. I mean, you know, Don was going to come last year, but he, it was just too expensive for him. Uh, and uh, it's you know, interest rates were really, really high here. I think about 15, you know, 15 or 16 percent. Uh, the um, you know the official rate from the central bank. So everybody wanted to park their money here, and it was just ridiculous. Uh, and then um, I'm not sure what happened, but uh, because I'm not an economist, but but you know, you know, uh, this summer, I mean, everything started to fall apart. Uh, you know, I, and obviously the uh, the banking crisis, the worldwide crisis, hit us really hard because the banks were so uh, what do you call it leveraged? They had so many so much debt uh, in other currencies. So when the corona started to fall and the credit started to freeze up, they couldn't refinance themselves. So uh, what was it? Two weeks ago, they fell one by one, and now we have three nationalized banks and hundreds of laid-off bankers and. Uh, it's almost like we turned the clock back 30 years. Thank you, Bjorn, for that interview and for helping to give us a picture of life in Iceland. Uh, we we really do want to go there. We were talking about taking the whole Planet Money team since it's, it's cheap. It's cheap and it sounds lovely. And we'd get great stories. Yes, certainly. If you're, if you're listening, NPR headquarters, send us to Iceland. Next up, the Planet Money correspondent who's actually most likely to become Treasury Secretary – Adam, don't flinch. No. Today, he's looking out for the national interest by covering, well, he can tell you. Hi, this is David Kestenbaum. We here at Planet Money are not just covering the current crisis. You'd be happy to know that we are actually looking out for the next one, the next uh, potential shoe to drop. And some people worry that that shoe could be hedge funds. So I spent uh, a little time last week looking into this. Um, hedge funds are, uh, if you don't know, these they're very secretive investment clubs, uh, often for the very rich. They're mostly unregulated. And you have to be pretty wealthy or a big pension fund to be able to invest money with them. So how big are they? Collectively, hedge funds manage what has been estimated to be 
$2 trillion, maybe more, maybe less. Uh, it's sort of hard to tell because they're secretive. But anyway, it's a pretty big pool of money. So you have to wonder, what would happen if they start to fail? Is it going to be like Lehman Brothers? Is it not such a big deal? How worried should we be? Is it just a problem for the rich people who gave them their money, or is it a problem for everybody? Well, a couple funds shut down last week, and nobody thinks they're going to be the last. I talked to James Kaufman. He's retired now, but he worked for almost three decades at the Securities and Exchange Commission in the Enforcement Division. Uh, SEC is sort of the uh, financial cops, or they're supposed to be. And he told me that hedge funds do make him uneasy. I worry because I don't know what I don't know. Uh, You don't know what's in them. You don't know who runs them. I don't know who they owe money to. I don't know the extent to which the people to whom they owe money are calling it in. Okay, so there are a lot of questions out there. And one question you might have is, what do hedge funds do? Well, they do have this mysterious aura about them, which I think comes in part from the fact that they hire some unusual employees like former physicists and mathematicians. So it's it's hard to get a lot of information about what hedge funds actually do, but they do talk to this guy, Joel Schwab. He's managing director of Channel Capital Group, which they provide information for investors on hedge funds, so the hedge funds are willing to talk to him. And he says, yes, some of the hedge funds do hire rocket scientists. So basically, they've programmed computers to look for various patterns and um, mispricings that might even only last a second. Um, And those computers are then able to implement trades. Um, Sometimes there's a human overlay over those, and other times the humans build the model, and then they let the computer run with it. Schwab told me that they also hire meteorologists. Yes, weather forecasters. I'm not sure why. Maybe they're uh, helping them make bets on insurance claims. Actually, that, that might actually be it. Um, but in general, the sort of the guiding philosophy for hedge funds is that they try to design their trades so that they make money no matter what happens to the market. Stocks go up, stocks go down. They don't care. They still make money. At least that's the idea that they started with. Uh, sometimes hedge funds will look for little parts of the market that are out of alignment, and they bet that they will come back into alignment. Uh, I talked to a hedge fund guy years ago who said they, they laugh at the, those, the people who, who try and bet that the market's going to go up or down. Um, so, And until recently, this worked uh, pretty well. Uh, hedge funds were earning a pretty steady 10 or 20% returns. And I mean steady, like year after year after year. But right now the market is so out of joint that they are, they are actually losing money. Here's Joel Schwab again. The hedge funds are having a very poor year. Uh, it, it's possibly their worst year since the early 1990s. Uh, it may go down as their worst year ever. However, we have to keep in mind that the worst year for hedge funds on average compared to um, many of the other parts of investors' portfolio um, does not look too bad. <laughs> in other words, they're doing bad, but not as badly as the stock market. Still, a few hedge funds have closed, and some investors are now asking for their money back. Actually, a lot of them are asking for their money back. I talked to Oliver Shupp, who is president of the Credit Suisse Tremont Hedge Fund Index, which tracks hedge funds. Our estimate is that by, let's say, the first quarter in 2009, the industry may correct by about 20%. So that would be, call it $400 billion-ish. So people might pull $400 billion out of the hedge funds. <clears throat> That's an estimate that is currently uh, uh, in the industry, yes. So one concern is that if people yank their money out of hedge funds, the hedge funds might collapse in a, in a really ugly way, which could be bad for the rest of us because the hedge funds have been taking out loans. 
why they take out loans. They borrow money so that they can place bigger bets uh, and make bigger profits. This is this idea of leverage that you've heard. And it's great if everything's going fine, but of course, if they get into trouble and they can't repay those banks, that could be really bad because, as we all know, the banks are already in trouble. So how much of a problem is this? Well, one critical question you want to ask is, what is the leverage? How much are the hedge funds borrowing? Lehman Brothers, the investment bank, before it failed, had a leverage ratio of 30 to 1, meaning they'd borrowed essentially 30 times what they had. Uh, Oliver Shupp with Credit Suisse told me the hedge funds on average are a lot less leveraged. He said maybe on average something like 2 to 1. I asked Joel Schwab about this too, and he said he wasn't really worried about the banks because he figures the banks will look after themselves when they make these loans. So everything would be okay if the banks were careful, which is an if. If the prominent investors have done the right due diligence. But this whole crisis is about people not getting that very thing right. Yeah, uh, time, time will tell. Um, I, don't, I, I do not think, though, there's a hedge fund that poses a systemic risk to the uh, financial markets. They, can cause, they, they certainly could cause a, um, some pretty uh, wild anomalies, in particular security prices. But um, I don't see it as something that uh, could be systemic. By wild anomalies, he means that if the hedge fund gets into trouble, it may have to sell off some of the things that it owns uh, or sell off a lot of stocks, for instance, at once, which could cause prices to drop. In fact, last week, some observers were blaming hedge funds for some of the market drops we were seeing. But again, it's hard to know for sure. Greg Newton, at least, was not convinced. I talked to him. He's followed hedge funds for 18 years, and he writes a blog called Naked Shorts, which refers to naked short selling, which you may have heard about on our podcasts. The attempt to pin market chaos on hedge funds is, in my view, uh, you know, giving them rather more credit than they deserve. There are a lot of moving parts, and hedge funds are just one of the moving parts in what's going on in the market at the moment. All right. So how worried should we be about the hedge funds? I think, unfortunately, it's hard to know for sure, because even when companies do file detailed financial statements, it can be hard to tell exactly what's going on. And here we have even less information to go on. There just aren't any financial documents really to go through. Uh, it could be that there are hedge funds that have sold a lot of those credit default swaps you may have heard about, those sort of financial insurance policies. And that could be dangerous because if they defaulted on those, that would be bad. But again, we just don't know. We do have one historic example to go on, and it was back in 1998, the hedge fund Long-Term Capital Management got into trouble. And this was filled with finance PhDs and backed by two Nobel Prize winners, all the smarty pants and everyone had given them their money. Um, and it ran into real trouble, and the Federal Reserve Bank of New York had to organize a bailout. They were worried, actually, in essence, looking back, that it was too big to fail, that if long-term capital management went under, it would cause a very painful chain reaction. The bailout was really big news at the time, but I just went back and looked at the numbers, and the total cost of the bailout in loans was just about $4 billion, a lot less than we're talking about these days. Thanks for that, David Kestenbaum. Send more. I'm declaring this a wrap for Planet Money today. Uh, please catch us online at npr.org slash money. We are very excited for our first round of Economist House Calls on Friday. We're taping in the morning on the East Coast. But don't worry. We're going to set up a West Coast-friendly time for the next round soon. I'm Laura Conaway. And I'm Adam Davidson. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.